Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and the exploration of how we can put Scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I serve as Communications Director of the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, a network of about 800 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church with more than 25 years of experience teaching the Bible to people from pre-teens to 90-somethings. I'm passionate about what the Bible has to teach us and about the ways people live out their faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining me. We're finally back. Let me start by asking you to please accept my apologies for a longer than expected hiatus. My my role as communications director of the Great Plains Conference required a lot more time and preparation for our annual conference session than normal. And yes, it usually already does take a lot of time. This was just a extra busy type of year. So the podcast had to take a back seat for just a little while. My plan now is to get us caught up. I had to pause right in the middle of a series on lessons that I think we can learn from the early church, the folks whose actions we read in the book of Acts. So far, we've learned about the need to speak boldly from Peter, and we learned from the Ethiopian eunuch the lesson to stay curious and to not be bashful about asking questions. If you want to refresh yourself on those stories, please check out toddseifert.com to listen to those episodes. It's been a little more than six weeks. Yeah, it's been a really long time, so I'm happy to be back. Anyway, let's get back to learning the lessons from the book of Acts. In this episode, we're gonna learn a thing or two about trust. Let's start with the story about a young man. He'd been born into an influential and blessed family. In the era of the book of Acts, they were blessed to be Roman citizens. And that meant they had a voice and vote in society. They could participate in government. They had more rights in the legal system. And he could serve in the military. Now this person was also a Pharisee. And we tend to look down on Pharisees because of how some of them railroaded Jesus, but that really was just a few. These were the priests of the people. They lived among the average folks. That means that they interacted with the average person. True, they had privileges in the temple and in synagogues, and they were looked up to in Jewish society. This friend of ours, well, he wanted to defend God, as if that were really necessary. So like most Pharisees, he adhered strongly to the Mosaic Law. That's all 613 laws stated in the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy. He didn't want anyone to be led astray by false teaching, of which there were many in the ancient world. And he celebrated when people stood up for the Jewish faith. This man, Well, he was highly educated. We're told later that he studied under a great Jewish legal scholar of the time named Gamaliel. So this young man has the luck of Roman citizenship, the prestige of being a Pharisee, and the intelligence to prepare him for a successful life. So when a man named Stephen spoke in favor of a guy named Jesus, this young man we're talking about stood in solidarity with people who claimed that this teaching about Jesus was blasphemous against Moses and against God. He very well may have been in the room, or just outside it, eavesdropping, no doubt, as Stephen gave his defense. And that defense, well, it was an abridged history of the Jewish faith. Stephen shared important moments in the story of Moses and the people in the wilderness after escaping slavery in Egypt. Stephen told of how Joshua led the people into the Promised Land. He reminded the folks of King David and the splendor of King Solomon's temple, how it was built for God. 
Many of the Pharisees in the crowd that day, my guess would be, well, they were nodding along in agreement as Stephen told these stories. And that young man listening probably did too. But then Stephen turns the tables on his audience just a little bit. He reminds them of how the Jewish people turned their backs on God by discounting their prophets. And then he proclaims a vision that he's having. heavens are opening up. The Son of Man, Jesus himself, is standing at the right hand of God, the right being the most esteemed position. Well, as you can imagine, those people get upset. So upset that they're willing to toss out Roman law. You see, only the emperor or the governor could order an execution, so they were so enraged that they didn't care. small mob exits the walls of Jerusalem and begins to inflict the penalty for blasphemy, stoning. We hear that phrase a lot, but we're not really sure what stoning is. Here's what I've found in my research. It often means that people were thrown from a height of some kind. Could have been a small cliff or just down an incline. Something that makes them lose their balance and fall to the ground. Then large rocks are thrown down on them. Now we're not talking about the kind that you can pick up and throw like a baseball. These usually were larger rocks, usually required two hands, aimed for the head or the chest, and the idea was to cause death by blunt force trauma. Anyway, that crowd walks outside the city, and the people who are going to throw these rocks at Stephen, well, they have to take out their outer garments because, you know, you've got to be flexible. You've got to be able to throw those rocks hard. And so they needed somebody to hold their coats. And so that young man that we've been talking about, he does that. He holds their coats for them. His name is Saul. Chapter 8 of the book of Acts, verse 1 tells us, Saul approved of their killing him, meaning he was perfectly fine with them killing Stephen. Now that man named Saul goes on to live out his faith by taking out pain and punishment on those who believed in Jesus as the Messiah. According to scripture, Saul, quote, ravaged the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women, end quote. He sent them to prison. This man, as you might expect, gained a powerful reputation. People, especially people who believed in Jesus, came to fear him. Saul decides that it's time for him to inflict some fear in what we know today as Syria. He wanted to spread the message. The message that Jesus should not be listened to. People shouldn't worship him because it blasphemed God. Remember, Saul thinks he's defending God as if God needs somebody to defend him. Anyway, Saul goes to the high priest and he asks for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Basically, these letters, they give him credibility with people who don't know him. They give him permission to round up even more people and to bring them back to Jerusalem to face punishment. Kind of like a warrant in today's society would be my guess is what this kind of meant. It gave him authority with people that didn't know who he was. Now many of you know the next part of our story. Paul and his group are on the road to Damascus when a bright light envelops the group. A voice from the heavens asks boldly, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The voice proclaims to be Jesus, and Saul is suddenly blind. 
Jesus tells Saul to go into Damascus and wait for word on what he's supposed to do next. Well, that's the story of Saul, or as we know him, the Apostle Paul. Just a couple of asides here. First of all, unlike Abram's name being changed to Abraham or Jacob's name being changed to Israel, Saul's name really didn't change. Saul is the Jewish version of his name. The Greco-Roman pronunciation is Paul, and that's how most of us know this man. When someone spontaneously comes to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, we tend to refer to them as having a, quote, road to Damascus, end quote, moment. Some people have that kind of experience, and you know what? Praise God when that happens. I've known a few of them. A person's eternity has changed for the better, significantly, and we should praise God for that. But you know what? For most people, the change is more gradual. It happens over time as they learn more and as they think through it. And you know what? Praise God when that happens too. Because again, a person's eternity has changed for the better, significantly. They just didn't have that instantaneous experience. That's the story of Paul that we are most comfortable with, that we know about. But there's even more. And it's the story and the lesson that I think we can learn from Acts today in this episode. I want to read for you from Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 22. In Damascus, there was a certain disciple named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, he answered, yes, Lord. The Lord instructed him, Go to Judas' house on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias enter and put his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias countered, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man. People say he has done horrible things to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's here with authority from the chief priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. The Lord replied, Go. This man is the agent I have chosen to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias went to the house. He placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me, Jesus, who appeared to you on the way as you were coming here. He sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, flakes fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After eating, he regained his strength. He stayed with the disciples in Damascus for several days. Right away, he began to preach about Jesus in the synagogues. He is God's son, Saul declared. Everyone who heard him was baffled. They questioned each other. Isn't he the one who was wreaking havoc among those in Jerusalem who called on his name? Hadn't he come here to take those same people as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and stronger. He confused the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. As I said, in this series, we're going through some of the many great stories about the early church from the book of Acts. We're learning what the first believers in Jesus can teach us about following Christ today. So far, We've learned that when Jesus ascended to heaven, his work transferred to us. We learn the act of speaking boldly. We learn the act of embracing curiosity about our faith. 
And in this episode, through the story of Ananias, we're going to learn the act of trusting God, especially beyond merely saying the words. Now, what do we know about Ananias? Well, he was a disciple. He wasn't one of the twelve, but clearly he was a believer in Jesus. Christ comes to him in a dream and tells him where to find Saul. He's supposed to go find Saul. He's supposed to touch him and restore his sight. And Ananias does what I think any one of us would have done, or at least I can speak for myself. I know I would have done this. Lord, are you serious? He asked that question. He had to be baffled about what God was asking him to do. You know who this guy is, right? Ananias continued on. This guy persecutes and imprisons people who proclaim you as king. This guy is evil. He's against you and us. This guy might be more than a little unhinged. Jesus hears what Ananias has to say, and he basically says, Yep. You see, Jesus has a plan for how he's going to use Saul. Who better to sway people who don't believe than someone who used to be the chief prosecutor and persecutor of believers? With the converted Saul, we have instant credibility. People who think as he used to think have to pause and consider that maybe they were wrong, just as Saul figured out that he was wrong. But Ananias is skeptical. He's more than a little scared, and I totally understand it. But I pray that when we have anything close to that kind of moment in our lives, that we will have the bravery to act with trust. That we won't merely say the words, God, we believe, but we're willing to show it. Ananias chose to show faith in God by doing what he was told. So what does he do? Well, Ananias walks in the room. He sees the infamous Saul. He calls him brother. It's a proclamation, one of trust, one of community. And Ananias proclaims that Jesus sent him to restore Paul's sight. But even more importantly, he came there to fill this man with the Holy Spirit. Now, as most of you know, Paul goes on to become the greatest evangelist in the history of Christendom. He goes on four missionary journeys, some long, some shorter, but all over the known world, or at least as, or at least most of it, I should say, as that was known at that time. The message of the risen Christ spreads throughout the Roman Empire and beyond, thanks to this guy named Paul. And I'm convinced it wouldn't have happened, at least not the way that it did, if not for a guy named Ananias. Because in that moment, Paul was broken. Paul was scared. Paul was isolated. He probably didn't know what to think. What he did know was that he had just lost everything that he had ever known. And then a new friend enters the picture. Ananias comforts him. Ananias lays his hands on him. And Paul's sight returns. He eats and he regains his strength. And then he enjoys fellowship with other disciples in Damascus for several days. And then Paul gets to work. He went to the houses of worship for Jewish people, the synagogues, and he proclaimed that Jesus is Lord. It's a pretty amazing story. It's a pretty amazing show of faith. It's one thing to say we believe. It's quite another thing to actually put those words into action. 
So are you ready to be like Ananias? Again, we all can say we believe in Jesus, and we're pretty good at that. But until we actually show it, who will see? Who will believe? Now, if you get a vision in a dream telling you to go somewhere to tell somebody something, I suggest you do it, because you know what? That is next-level Christianity, folks. But more likely, to be totally honest with you, it's going to look something more like this. Someone in society is being marginalized, an individual or a large group of people. When you see it, will you stand up to defend them? Someone's hungry or thirsty or needs clothing or shelter. When you see them, will you lend a hand to help? Something we're seeing more and more as time goes on in our country and beyond, a government entity tries to make laws that harm or minimize a group of people. Pick a category that we use to separate people. Any of them will do these days. Will you rise up to stop it? Will you speak up? Will you vote? Maybe for a party or for a candidate that you normally wouldn't support, but this other candidate that you will vote for, well, they're going to stand up for a group of people that's being marginalized. You see, Ananias could have said, Jesus, I believe in you, but I'm really too afraid to trust you. I've got to protect myself here. But instead, Ananias said, Jesus, I'm afraid, but I trust you, and I will do as you ask. So what is your answer to that question today? In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.